Hola y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. 22-day challenge. Soy Enrique Barnes y presidente de esa mejor cerveza. Y dead water son los mejores bebidas. No abate por No Filter Network. Will the Thrill Clark not with us this morning. Miguelito San Diego not with us this morning. English here in the Daily Hustle. Miguelito San Diego, actually English and Spanish on the Daily Hustle. Not with us this morning. Hunter Pence, as my kids like to call him, Hunter Pants, not with us this morning. But we go ahead and properly salute our boys. Yes, 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 yes. And I say yes to a smoothie. Thank you, Sissy Smallfly. Okay. It tastes delicious. Anyhow. A very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on the first day of February 2024. We are sponsored, of course, by Bet Online, the number one online gambling destination. Go to Bet Online for the latest scores, news, odds, and predictions. You can Type in the promo code BLEAV, capital B L E A V, to get 50% off your first deposit. Bet online, uniting degenerates everywhere since its creation. Let's not forget about KT tape. That's right. You put the tape on, it lifts the skin, promotes blood flow to the area and generally alleviates pain. KT tape. Look at the QR code in the upper right-hand corner. Actually, my left-hand corner right here. Hit the QR code to get all of the latest deals with KT tape. And then lastly, certainly not least, hold tight here. Got a whole goodie pack of verge this is cannabis lemon honey ginger just wellness packed into one if you're looking to get super high and be unproductive this is not what you're looking for this is productivity the right amount of cannabis to let us cruise through our days enough honey, ginger, and lemon mm. <sighs> to soothe the throat. Go to triverge.com and use the promo code LTP10. That's it. LTP10 to get the discounts. If they're not big enough, Reach out to my guy, Jory, over there. He'll make sure you get taken care of. Okay, today's daily hustle. Electronic email communication that went out at 4 a.m. this morning is 
Welcome to the fourth annual Daily Hustle 22-Day Challenge. The challenge was originally put together as a way to unify the Daily Hustle community through shared experiences that have the ability to put our minds, bodies, and souls to the ultimate test. This year, many of the standard challenges return while we also have a handful of new challenges for the first time. These challenges can and will be as hard as you want them to be. So use proper judgment throughout the 22 days and always remember to listen to your body. In other words, don't be a weenie or a dumbass. For those who complete the Daily Hustle 22-day challenge, Flippy, pictured above, will be made available as a finisher's medal for a small donation to the Let Them Play Foundation. So here's a look at Flippy. Yeah. If there's, you don't have like a good reason to do the challenge, but number one, just living should be a reason to do it. But if you're being a bitch and you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it for you, do it for Flippy. I mean, look at this guy. He is pure and simple, a badass. Okay. Uh, so without further ado, here. We fucking go. Daily Hustle Challenge, day one. Core four. Number one, wake up an hour earlier. The most productive people in the world are early risers, so yup, it's time to get our asses up. My normal wake-up time is usually 5 a.m., so over the course of the next 22 days, the alarm will be set for four. Benefits. Include consistent exercise routines, more productivity overall, increased energy, and better sleep, which typically coincides with earlier bedtimes. Number two, gratitude. Write down at least three things you are grateful for almost immediately after waking up. Gratitude has been proven to enhance empathy, reduce anxiety, and increase optimism. Number three, let's go boarding. Or grounding. For those who have a team go hard foot reflexology board, designate a certain amount of time you are uncomfortable with. Seven minutes is a nice number, and then hop on board. Benefits of foot reflexology include increased blood flow and decreased inflammation, which almost always helps alleviate pain. For those who do not have a board, spend at least one minute. A day with your feet in the grass, dirt, or sand. Our bodies are electrically charged structures that tend to be always on when we go barefoot and connect with the earth. It literally serves as the grounding plug of a three-prong outlet and instantly neutralizes our overcharged selves. Number four, miles. Pick a number of miles that you will crawl, walk, Run, bike, row, or swim each day. Once again, my number will be two-two. I do have a bit of an obsession with 22, don't I? If you prefer to count steps, go for it. But pick a number that is a decent percent higher than you normally go. I normally run and pickleball my way to about 40,000 steps a day. So naturally, we'll be gunning for 50K a day over the course of the next 22 days. Benefits of exercise include improved 
heart health, strength and bones, muscles, weight management, and overall better mood. Buena suerte, compadres. See you on the other side. EB. P.S. To pick up a limited edition copy of the brand new book, Let Them Play, A Coaching and Parenting Guide to Youth Sports. Go ahead and click the pick below. Let's pick a, me this cute little kid. Uh, or just go straight to ericburns.com now and order away. If you prefer Amazon, you could pre-order on Amazon right now as well. If you're uh, curious what Troy Gloss, former MLB All-Star, had to say about the book, quote, with a focus on learning through mistakes and experiences and a, quote, teach-don't-preach approach, the LTP way develops the skills and psyche for an elite athlete. Thank you, uh, Troy, for that. So, anyhow, if you haven't got a copy of this, we look, we got Little League season coming up we have travel ball just kind of getting in the full swing of things as i'm watching the snowfall from outside first time in a long time stormy burns made an appearance this morning running down the streets here in my community it's always fun when i get half naked and get out in the snow and typically i like to get out before you start seeing cars out. Well, you have a lot of construction that's taking place around here. So 7 a.m. is a number in which guys that you'll see, you know, a lot of cars coming to the community. Well, this morning, because of the snow and it just, it stays dark. So I also want to be able to go out there so people can see the snow. So I went out running at 7 a.m. And I'm, I'm halfway down the street. Naked, yo, half naked, that is. And running in the snow. And then here comes like three cars. And they had to be thinking, what the fuck is this guy doing? So anyhow, uh, onward and upward. Let's get to the top stories for today. A lot happening. Uh, missed the DH. Uh, yesterday we had Chloe ski racing and then other responsibilities for the kids. But we are full throttle back at it. And one of the topics that I wanted to get into, and it's not something I'd prefer to even have to bring up. It was a sad situation that took place in Wichita. Uh, MLB and clubs are to replace the vandalized Jackie Robinson statue the statue of jackie robinson that was stolen from a wichita kansas park last week and was found burned and dismantled on tuesday will be replaced by a major league by major league baseball and the 30 clubs the robinson statue was erected in 2021 at the front of mcadams park which is home base of league 42 a local youth baseball league bob lutz executive director of league 42 announced the news of MLB and the club's involvement in replacing the statue on Wednesday, which also marks Robinson's 105th birthday. Individual donations also 
poured in after Lutz started a GoFundMe page earlier this week. As of Wednesday night, the fundraiser garnered more than $156,000. Lutz told reporters Tuesday that a new Robinson statue would be built using the original mold. It will be a joyous occasion, unlike today, unlike the past five days. And look, it just goes to show you how fucking stupid people can be. And as soon as you think that we're making progress in this world, a couple of dumbasses, a couple of bad apples, and they're they're always going to be there. Look, there's raging psychopaths that so long as this world exists, they are going to exist. And they often do stupid shit. Now, who it actually was that did this? <sighs> yeah, as much as I'd love to punch him in the face, does it really fucking matter? Uh, they're they're punching themselves in the dick every single day by being idiots walking the face of this earth. So I don't think there's I I, I just don't even want to focus on that. I look at this as per sparrow out of straw through hardship to the stars as an opportunity once again to highlight how great of a person, a ball player, and a humanitarian that Jackie. Robinson was now sure we celebrate him once a year. We have Jackie Robinson day in major league baseball. I played at Jackie Robinson stadium at UCLA. There wasn't a day that went by that. I literally would walk by that statue and salute Jackie. Even to this day, when I take the LTP boys to UCLA and John Savage, the head coach of UCLA. So graciously lets us use the facilities I make sure they go up and they say, what's up to Jackie? And it's a cool thing. I'll never forget when Gary Adams uh, brought us to the Jackie statue after a long series in which we got swept at Stanford. We flew home that night and then hopped on the bus. The bus took us back to UCLA and he goes, meet me by the Jackie statue. And so the whole team gathered around the Jackie statue and he went on to talk about Jackie Robinson and the life that he lived and the sacrifices that he made and the hardships that he had to deal with. And then basically called us a bunch of pussies. And he's like, look, Jackie lived a life full of all these different adversities, yet he continued to persevere through it. One small thing happens to this team and it's like, oh, I can't believe it. This is the end of the world. He's like, look, it's like not only play like Jackie, because you guys need to start living like Jackie and understand that life's not going to be easy, that we're going to deal with uh, adversity and hardships and all of these other things. But understand that when you put on a UCLA uniform, you're not only representing the school and as it is right now, but you're also representing those who came before you. And this right here is the ultimate dude who came before you. If you're not going to play hard for yourself, you play hard for him. And it was, I think a moving speech and you go back and look at that time. I'm going to assume that was like maybe my sophomore year 
we then went on to make it to the regional finals in Texas and eventually lost to Miami. But then the next year had the number one team in the country for most of the year and ended up going to the college world series. I think that was a pivotal speech, just period in a time that we all needed to, to hear something. And so to get this news of the dumbasses in Wichita, it's, uh, it's saddening to a sense, but again, I want to use it as an opportunity to glorify Jackie and sit here and spend 10 minutes talking about, you know, everything. And, you know, 42 was a movie that I had in the top 15 of all time great baseball movies. And it would be higher on the list, but kind of like Cobb or kind of like Eight Men Out. It, it hurt a little bit. And so as much as I love the movie, and I lo- as much as I loved Jackie's story, it also is only natural that sometimes when we go back and we revisit the past and we study history, it's not all feel-goods. And it goes to show you the adjustments in life that we need to make, uh, how, how stupid that we've been in the past. And anyhow, uh, moving forward, good on MLB, good on the 30 teams, good on the people who donated $156,000. Hopefully that will go to, you know, not only the statue, but just improving the league 42, which is this, this park. So uh, next year on the, list and we'll stick with MLB because of course we are a life optimization baseball podcast first and foremost we do talk a lot of football though eight MLB free agent steals still on the market folks it's fucking February and these guys do not have teams it says so you think MLB's free agent market Still revolves around Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman. Well, you're not wrong. But also, among the still available inventory are less heralded free agents who deserve attention and could be potential steals. I've made a case for eight players, though unlikely to sign for big money, could play big parts on new teams in 2024. It's partly their results from last year that suggest as much, but also matters that they have certain metrics going for them as well, because such exercises are never complete without a little speculation. I've also pondered possible fits and predicted exact landing spots for each player without further delay. Let's count them down in order of where they appeared. When bleacher reports, Joel Reuter ranked this winter's top 100. Okay. Here we go. Jacob Junis was well-known for his slider even before the San Francisco Giants picked him up two years ago, but apparently what he needed was to throw it more. The slider accounted for 50.5% of Junis' pitches in 2022 and then 62% in 2023. Doubled, doubling down last year proved 
to be the right idea, especially in the sense that he jumped from the 33rd to the 73rd percentile in strikeout rate. Whether such a heavy slider approach could still work in a starting role is another question. These There are starters who mostly rely on breaking stuff, but those guys also have at least one good fastball. Neither Junis' sinker nor four-seamer fit that bill. But even if Junis is only capable of being a swingman, well, so be it. He showed last year that he could handle it as he got more than three outs in 29 of his 40 appearances. Look, for the people that, and I get it with the breaking stuff. I do. If I throw a pitch and they can't hit it, I throw it again. So if you're Junis and you got a slider that's fucking unhittable, yeah, just keep throwing it. As a starter, your shit's going to get lit. I, there's no there's no other way to put it. It works out of a bullpen. It works one time around. When you start throwing it over and over and over and over and over again, hitters adjust. Not only do they see it, they also are able to properly then time it up and barrel that shit up. So, out of the bullpen, great. One time through a lineup? Absolutely. Could Judas do it? Yes. You try to do that shit two times, three times through a lineup? No chance. All right. Uh, possible fits, they say. The Red Sox, Phillies, and Rangers. Landing spot, Red Sox. All right. We shall see. Um, hmm. The next one here. This is so weird how they do it. I don't know if this is. Huh. They really have a way of not showing the actual dudes. I don't know if it's just the iPad or what the deal is. Anyway, Gary Sanchez, 31 years old, last year, 19 homers, a 288 on base percentage. That's not going to do anyone any good, but a 492 slug. It says, though, Gary Sanchez flamed out as a Yankee. And didn't do much to endear himself to Minnesota Twin fans in 2022. He may yet save his reputation. Though he did with so with a typically low on base percentage, he was among the most dangerous sluggers in MLB after debuting with the Padres on May 30th last year. Between then and the end of the season, he barreled balls at a better rate than even Corey Seager and John Carlos. Yeah, look, Gary Sanchez could hit. I don't think there's any question about it. The only thing that was always a huge issue with Sanchez was his defense. All right, next guy on the list here. Brandon Belt. Look at this guy. I mean, it's he looks so good in the Blue Jays, baby blue. And he had success there. If you're the Bluebirds, why would you bring him back? 254 average, right? But check this out. 369 on base percentage, 490 slugging. What the fuck? I'm not letting that go if I'm the Blue Jays. 35 years old. 
Brandon Belt was open about considering retirement after the Blue Jays 2023 season ended, but Sands and confirmation on that front, let's just assume he wants to keep playing. I'm not walking out. I mean, you're putting up those numbers. Hell no. It says, if so, well, why not? He proved last year he could still hit his 136. OPS plus. Topped even his fellow free agent designated hitters, J.D. Martinez. Finished at 134. And Jorge Soler at 128. Think about this. This dude is an elite bat. Belt will be 36 on April 20th, but his so-called old man skills are aging just fine. These are patience and power for the record for which he landed in the 97th percentile for walk rate and 92nd percentile for barrel rate last season. To be fair, he only had a 572 OPS against lefty. It doesn't matter. I don't have to play him against lefties compared to an 890 OPS against righties. But given that most pitchers are right-handed, 70% is generally the number. Such a potent split shouldn't be a deal breaker for teams in need of some thump at DH. Possible fits, Rangers, Nationals, Marlins, Angels. Landing spot prediction, Rangers. Hell yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, he's from Texas. He played for Bruce Bochy. This is a no-brainer. Get Brandon Belt. In Texas, that AOS is going to be a hell of a division. Seattle's going to be decent. You got the reigning world champion, Texas Rangers, and then, of course, the Houston Astros, who are going to be better than they were last year. And some could argue that was the best team in the American League, even though they did not win it. All right. The uh, next one here on the list of interest. Let's put it that way. <clears throat> Tommy Pham. This guy's a wild card. And if you're a team that's looking to bring somebody in with a little fuck you to him, Tommy Pham is your guy. 129 games last year. 481 plate appearances. 16 homers. 22 stolen bases. Tommy Pham had a pretty good season in 2023. His OPS plus, he was 11% better than the average here. So it's a 111 OPS plus. He also had a 772 OPS during the Diamondbacks playoff run, highlighted by a 4 for 4 showing in game two of the World Series. For which, if you guys remember, he gave up his last at bat and a chance to go 5 for 5 in the World Series because he wanted teammate, veteran teammate, Jace Peterson, to get a World Series at bat. So for as much shit as everybody wants to give Tommy Pham, save it. I can't hear what you're saying because I'm too busy watching what you're doing. Now, I also heard that when Corbin Carroll hit an inside the Parker, what would have been an inside the Parker. And then LED La Cruz hosed his ass at home plate. Tommy Pham was talking shit to Corbin Carroll in a playful way. Like, yo, my younger days, I would have beat that out. You need that 
in a clubhouse. You need somebody who is going to check the young guys. I can think of the best clubhouse dynamic that I ever played with. And I would say is it was when we had a combination of really good guys along with some veteran guys, along with some rookies, along with some assholes. And I know you might look at that and be like, yo, what are you talking about? Well, look, if everyone is kumbaya, there's probably a little much kumbaya. A Major League Baseball team is very much or should very much be like the government. We need checks and balances. We can't skew so far one way or so far the other way. If we do either one, we're fucked. But if we figure out how to play in the middle, that's typically when you get the most successful teams playing their best baseball. That's why he was so instrumental on a very young Arizona Diamondbacks team last year. And when it comes to pitchers and position players, I want everybody at home to really know and understand they're totally different. (sighs) Pitchers are not going to like to hear this, but they're kind of like kickers. They're off on their own. That are they're incredibly valuable. They will change the dynamics of the game. A pitcher has more single influence on one game than anybody else. So, does a kicker have more single influence? No. Pitchers are part quarterback, and but they're also part kicker. Well, everybody else, the guys that post up every day, the position players, that's where you need the checks and balances. That's where it's really important. So, when we had Orlando Hudson, who was the most glorious shit talker, maybe in the history of Major League Baseball, along with Tony Clark, this very veteran, calming presence that was just, yes, we we all need more Tony Clark in my life, a real good spiritual man. Uh, and then... You would have, say, a Connor Jackson. Just low-key, kick back, not much to it, right? Just went about his business. And then you had a Chris Young. Very confident, borderline arrogant, just strutted his shit like, I'm the dude. And then it just worked, right? Because you had TC who would... Keep everybody humble. You had Orlando, who if someone was popping off, he'd make sure he'd get in your face right away. You had Connor that, I don't know, I mean, every now and again, you just look at him and felt like, I don't know, let's go take a bong rip. Like, everything will be all right. Like, that's it. Oh, anyhow. Okay. Uh, another guy they have on this list, this is interesting, Michael A. Taylor. He had 21 homers last year, 13 bags, 220 average, not great. 278 OBP, not good at all. 442 slugging is okay. It says Mike Lay Taylor is not a good hitter. We know this because good hitters don't post OBPs under 300. And as Taylor did 
last year within 33.5% of their plate appearances. Now that's an issue. It's say though, but if Taylor is nothing else, he's a game-changing defensive outfielder. Yeah, so if here's a guy that you could start against lefties and then bring in as a defensive replacement. I mean, this is all fi- fine and dandy, but I, does that even, I don't think it doesn't even matter. That core four of unsigned picks, it's just head-scratching at this point. I, I mean, it starts, obviously, with Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger, but then you have Matt Chapman and Jordan Montgomery who are still not signing. Something's got to give in the very near future. It is February. We are like less than two weeks away from spring training. Okay, uh, we have, well, I'm going to go back to this one right here. There was an article. No, that's not it. I swear I can click a button. I'm really good at it. And here we go. This is from Sports Illustrated. It says, Larry David has a major beef with this sports trend. Quote, I'll never go back there. Huh. All right. Number one, here's the truth about today's Trena thoughts. And this article is from Jimmy Trena, Sports Illustrated. I really wanted to lead this column with this amazing clip of Larry David being interviewed Tuesday night at the premiere party for this season's Curb Your Enthusiasm, which airs Sunday night on HBO because it will be the best thing you'll see on the internet today and his peak Larry David. However, there wasn't really a way for me to connect that clip to anything sports related, so I didn't think I could get it at the top of today's column, but apparently it's there. But now it's at the top of today's column, and I can tell you that in addition, Larry, giving the vintage interview, we also have another classic LD rant about what it's like to go to a sporting event these days, appearing on Bill Simmons' podcast for a must-listen interview. Larry called out one of the biggest issues with being a sports fan in this day and age. Quote, here's my problem with stadiums in general now, said David. I went to a game at SoFi. I'll never go back there. You have to scream to just talk to the person next to you. There's so much noise coming from the loudspeaker. It's crazy. And then the guy, the PA guy, whose house is this? You're assaulted. Your senses are assaulted. And you can't watch the game. David later added, they have it at baseball games too now. They don't just let you sit and talk and relax. Clearly, David needs to have a conversation with Steve Kerr, who recently went off about the trend of arenas being too loud after a game in Phoenix. In this building, you can't hear anything because it's like a club. It's like a South Beach club out there, Kerr told reporters. What are we doing? Kerr continued. I'm being dead serious. I couldn't hear anything out there. The whole game is just thumping. Techno clubbies. Can we just have a basketball game anymore? What the hell? David touched on several other sports topics during his interview with Simmons, which you can check out below. All right. I don't know where I stand on this. Because 
I felt like when I managed the Savannah Bananas, it was two hours of the most electric sports atmosphere that you could possibly imagine. It was fucking awesome. And the reason why was not only the product of play on the field and the trick plays and the entertainment and everything else, but because of the DJ. Shark was killing it. And it was one tune to the next to the next to the next. Now, I will say that the NBA has been doing this for a long time. I noticed it when I went to a Warriors game. It might have been five, ten years ago. Where they would play the music. And it would be this sort of background beat. The music, and I think this is really important for people to understand, is not the entertainment. If I want to go to a techno club, I'll go to a fucking techno club. If I want to go to a hip-hop club, I'll go to a hip-hop club. That is when the music is the main source of entertainment. But at a football, basketball, or baseball game, the music is not top priority. It's important. There's a reason why way back when we had the army with the marching band, right? As our boys are going into battle. I think it's important. I think music is really a huge part of the fabric of who we are as people and we need it. But at what point does it become over the top? Larry David He's funny as shit, but he's all what makes him so funny is that he's fucking real about stuff. And so if you have somebody like that going to SoFi, which is, I haven't been there yet, but apparently just an amazing, amazing fucking stadium. And he's going there and say, I'd never want to go back because it's too loud. Make a goddamn adjustment. Steve Kerr who I have as much respect for as just about anybody in professional sports is bitching about Phoenix turning into freaking six back in the day. Just an epic nightclub. What were some of the other ones? I don't know. Six was one of my go-to spots. But Sanctuary was another one. But these these places, they shouldn't be turning into clubs. The music should enhance or just be a nice background for the play that's happening on the court. The problem with the NBA and being inside is that it's tough to drain that out. It's like, well, you know, either you're going to have it or, or you're not. I do think... There is an element at a baseball game when you have that time of reflection, the time to have conversation. And you don't need, especially at a Major League Baseball game, the constant, constant thumping, whatever else. I love it for the Savannah Bananas. I do. Uh, But baseball purists, uh uh-uh. Uh, they're going to hate it. And there's a baseball purist, I think, deep inside me that empathizes 
with that point of view. Now, if you were to ask me personally what I want, give me the fucking music. Bring the energy. Two days ago, we were out on the pickleball courts here. And a buddy of mine I was playing with, he pulls out the speaker. And there was a couple playing on the court next to us. And he says, hey, guys. And they were there before us. You guys mind if you play a little music? And the guy, his wife, they're really nice. They said, well, they said, normally we actually would. But, you know, pickleball is not really something that we're very into. We're still just kind of trying to learn. So maybe the music will help. But if we were on the golf course, I would tell you no. And number one, I just thought, like, the audacity of this guy, like, he has the balls and, and real confidence, right? He goes, I don't know when and where, like, the music thing on the golf course became okay. He's like, I like to go golf and have this reflection and this and that. And a bu- my buddy made a great point. He goes, the difference between a golf course and a pickleball court is that pickleball court like one of the most annoying sounds if you're not playing it is the actual pickleball hitting the rack it's awful so you have the music to help drown that out but i do think that there are times when you want that peace and quiet and i know that just by running right there's i mean there's certain times where i'll go on runs and i'll have nothing for a long time before the daily hustle, and it's funny, I'll probably fire this back up for the 22 day challenge. But right before I would come on here, I would go get two miles in or five miles in, whatever it is. So, I mean, some days I was getting 10 miles in before. But to do a short run, and I'm, I'd be knocking out 22 over the course of the next 22 days, every single day. So, constantly, obviously, need to be moving or whatever else. But to go outside and do it with nothing. Like, yeah, there's a definitely a peaceful element to that. Okay. Number two here says, I told you in Friday's train of thoughts that Sunday's Lions Niners NFL title game was going to be the last one for Fox's Kevin Burkhardt, Greg Olson as partners because Tom Brady is taking Olson's spot in the booth next season. Brady appeared on Tuesday's Pat McAfee show and made it crystal clear He's going through with his plan of becoming Fox's lead NFL analyst, and he plans on giving it 100%. Look, Tom Brady, number one, he signed a $300-something million deal. So he's got $300 million reasons why to go ahead and go through with being Fox's number one broadcaster. Now, the other element of this is that if you know Tom Brady, he will give it everything he fucking has. That's just who he is. So the one thing, and it will be interesting to see if he does mock games or whatever. Think about broadcasting. It's really like anything else in life. You're going to get out what you put in. And you only, only, Become better with time in the saddle. I never understood that when 
I first started with triathlon and Lindsay Corbin, I'm at a triathlon camp. She was a professional triathlete, badass, super cool chick, just, just retired recently. But I'm like, Lindsay, like, how do I get better at biking? Like, it, and, I, and I, I was convinced, okay, is it constant pressure on the pedal? You know, where's, where, what should I be doing with my pedal stroke? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, from a power weight ratio, where should I be living with the power meter? I had all these fucking questions for her, right? And I'll never forget when she says, time in the saddle. That's it. You just need time in the saddle. And all that other stuff will start making sense. Well, Tom Brady, if you want to be a great broadcaster, you're going to have to have time in the saddle. And he's going to come after Greg Olson, who everybody was just fucking ranting and raving about how great of a broadcaster that Greg Olson is. And has been, it will be, and still is. Look, Greg Olson is not going anywhere just because he doesn't happen to be on the quote unquote number one game. It's does anyone really give a shit? I used to do it's funny because I used to work for Fox, and they used to have a game of the week um, that would go out to fifty percent of the country, and then they would have these other games of the week that would go out to thirty three percent here you know, 20% here, whatever. And then those were the games. Well, I would get put on typically the number two or number three game. And the lead broadcast team at that point, I don't know if it was Buck and Smoltz or Buck and Verducci, whatever. It, It doesn't fucking matter. But I was considered like the second or third team. When I was doing these, I didn't give a fuck. And it was even so bad, though, that I got taken off. And I was pissed about this, though. I got taken off a game. It was the Dodgers in Boston. And I got put on this game because the Dodgers in Boston were not doing great. They were... You know, about 500 or whatever it was. And it was two months out. They were both 10 games out of first place at the time. And I want to say this is like 2013. And then Boston and the Dodgers both got hot. So they went from being, they were going to be, even though there's two great markets. And I was super stoked just to even go to those markets, right? But, you know, they were going to be the game number two. And game number one that was going out to 75% of the country was uh, Giants and somebody else, whatever. Well, at the last minute, I get fucking pulled off this game. I'll never forget having the conversation with Orsi. I go, dude, that's bullshit. And I, I didn't wear him out. It wasn't his fault. It was my agent. And, and the, the reason being was that if I had, if I committed to doing a game with Fox, say it was a Saturday game. You fly in Friday, you have like a meeting Friday night, a meeting Saturday morning, you do the whole manager's uh, meetings, everything else. 
Uh, you do the game Saturday. If you're lucky, you get out Saturday night, but sometimes it's Sunday. So this is like basically a three-day commitment, right? Well, Fox paid for one fucking day. And on top of that, they didn't even pay what my daily rate was at MLB. So needless to say, that was the last time I ever fucking worked for Fox. It was. It didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. Not when I was still with MLB. My MLB daily rate was almost triple what they paid for one fucking Fox game. So just like I told Ornstein, dude, let's do some math here. I do one game, one game. It takes three days and I get paid a third of what I would get paid for one day at MLB Network out. Out. And I think Fox called back. They said, hey, we apologize. You know, we didn't think this game was going to be the top game. We like to have our top team. Okay, whatever. You know, all good. And it wasn't like I was reassigned to another game either. And I think the A's and the O's were playing too. But they had already had people lined up for that. And that was the last day I ever worked for Fox. I mean, I was the independent contract. It would technically work for him anyway. But Ornstein made it very clear. Done. So we'll see. Tom Brady will be fantastic. He will be really good. It's going to take some time. This shit's not easy. A lot of it, even if you have all the right things to say, is as Tony Romo would tell you, it's pacing. It's timing. It's knowing when and where to interject that incredible wisdom. Now, what has made Romo so good is that he was a quarterback, right? So he sees shit like Tom will, where he's actually reading coverages on the air and he's going through his progressions and what he would be looking at. We want all of that, but there's a way to deliver that. And so with Tom, and I'm sure he will do this, it's practice. It's repetitions. It's going through it. So if anything, if I'm Tom, I'm like, look, dude, number one, let's do some mock games with whoever he's going to be working with, if it's Kevin Burkhardt or whoever else. Let's do some trial sort of things. Uh, and then I would, I try to go get in as many preseason games as possible. Just trying to get the reps in. It's like spring training for a baseball player. This shit is not easy. You can go on and you can just talk and make it easy. Look, come on, fucking no filter. Yeah, it's easy. It's, we don't have a filter. We don't have to have the pacing and rhythm and timing and everything else. But when you're in a broadcast booth, you do. And you have people in your ear. And Look, it's fun. I, I enjoy doing games. Really did. I enjoy this shit a lot more. All right. Uh, quote, I don't think naturally I'm going to go in on day one and have everything figured out. That was Brady talking to Pat McAfee. Quote, I've been out to the Fox studios a few times, and I'm really excited to join an amazing team. Greg Olson does an incredible job, and I have a lot of respect for him. I'm going to go in there and do the best I can do with my own perspective. All right, number three here. I'd love to hear from other NFL players about the protocol here before making judgment 
on who was out of line in the Travis Kelsey, Justin Tucker dust up, which hasn't gotten nearly the attention it deserves because everybody is busy white knighting for Taylor Swift. But Kelsey unloaded on Tucker on the latest New Heights podcast, which is the number one podcast in the podcast world. Travis Kelsey on his pregame exchange with Justin Tucker. Quote, if you want to be a fucking dick about it, you keep your helmet and your football and your fucking kicking tee right where the quarterbacks are warming up. Don't paint me as the bad guy. He was poking the bear. I agree with Travis Kelsey. Think about there's protocol. And I, I look, like it says in the article, I don't know exactly what protocol is. I will tell you this. If you're going to kick on the chief side of the field, that's one thing. If you're going to kick on the chief side of the field, does that mean you have to fucking stretch there right in the middle of where the opposing team's quarterback is going through his dropbacks and little whatever it is, pregame routines with his receivers and running backs and tight ends? No. Get the fuck out of the way. As a matter of fact, I thought Travis Kelsey took it easy on Justin Tucker by just taking the helmet and throwing the tee off to the side. Dick move. That wasn't a dick move at all. I thought that was a really nice cordial move because what he really should have done is to say, get the fuck out of here, dude. And punted that thing. Look again, I wasn't an NFL player. I don't know the exact protocol. I do know that kickers will warm up on both sides, but if you're Tucker, who's one of the greatest kickers in the history of the NFL. I think that has given him the confidence to go ahead and own his space and mansplay all over the Chiefs' side of the field. Well, at some point, somebody like a Travis Kelsey was going to say, fuck off, dude. Get your shit out of here. And especially when you have your shit just lying on the field. It's getting in the way. Like, I want my, you think I want my quarterback tripping on that? If you're talking, you go, oh, it wasn't the way, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. Dude, I don't care. If you want to kick on our side of the field, then go fucking kick. You want to stretch? Go back to your own side of the field. You want to leave your helmet and all your shit lying around? Your kicking team, your ball, and all that other stuff? Get the fuck on your side of the field. Now, if you want to kick, sure. Kick away, dude. And if we happen to, yeah, I'm where I mean, you shouldn't wear a ball because they should be going through the goalpost or at least nearby it, right? And it won't be an issue. So I'm with Travis Kelsey. When I first saw it, I kind of thought to myself, something's up here because Travis Kelsey is a lot of things, and a dick is not one of them. I've hung out with this guy. I have spent time around him to the point where I know that this is a good dude. So for him to grab the helmet, to grab the tee, to grab the football and just throw another dude shit, it was for good reason. And sure enough, going back and looking at 
what has happened here and a lot of the response and everything else has gone on. Justin Tucker was the one who was in the wrong. Now, Justin Tucker's going to tell you, well, hey, this is my pregame routine. I've done it with every other team. It's never been an issue. Well, you know what? Maybe these other teams should have fucking stood up for themselves. And after Travis Kelsey stood up for the Kansas City Chiefs and Mahomes and everybody else, look what happened. They went out there and fucking donkey stomped them. Good on Kelsey. All right, number four here, New York Post headline. Fans call out Brittany Mahomes. High horse attitude towards stadium employee. Just the worst. Okay, what happened here? Bro Bible headline. Brittany Mahomes called the worst for her behavior towards stadium employee. Okay, magazine headline. Brittany Mahomes bashed for diva-like attitude towards stadium worker. Someone help me here. I watched the clip in question that generated these headlines. I saw absolutely nothing wrong with what she did. I did not see it. Absolutely did not see it. So it's not even worth. It's just people trying to cause shit. I know Brittany Mahomes is tight with Taylor Swift. So I, but that's why we got to be careful. It's the same thing with the Travis Kelsey situation and Justin Tucker. You just get get the information, get all of it. As much as you can, then you can make your judgments. Yet, we're out here trying to make one judgment after another, and, you know, we don't know what the fuck's going on. All right, number five. I've raved about YouTube's first season airing NFL Sunday ticket here in Train of Thoughts and on SI Media with Jimmy Traina. I repeatedly said that the only issue, and in my opinion, is a minor one, is that it would be nice for YouTube to give us the option of selecting our own games for multi-view option and allowing us to put whatever game we want into whatever box in the quadrant. It appears YouTube is working on the fix. Via The Verge, quote, Google spokesperson, Allison Toe confirmed the rollout in an email to The Verge. Not to be confused with The Verge that I drink here every morning. Noting it's currently only available for NBA League Pass in men's and women's NCAA basketball, we hope to gradually bring this to more live sports over the next few months. I mean, this is where it's going. I this, I I can't tell you how disgusted I am with the TV situation in my house. It's just, that's a pain in the ass. I can't change the channel. I have no fucking remote. I can't change it. So our internet went out. Right, our Wi-Fi. I'm actually hardwired in here. That's why it works. But our Wi-Fi went out, so I can't change the channel because we have no internet. So it's just, I, and then I have to change it off my phone. Like I don't want a phone. I want a remote. Count TV and channels and all that other stuff is one of the things that like it's only got more confusing and more. It's become more of a debate. Like. It'll figure itself out where if I just turn on ES, Siri, turn on ESPN, right? Phone. Then it, it should come up. We do all that shit. Like, we have all this AI running our lives, yet somehow I feel like we've gone backwards with the TV thing. And yes, it will all be streaming. It's, it's, it's just a matter of time. Like, I get that. But with that, I, you know, there's this transition period that's been a huge fucking debacle as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Number six here, the latest SI media with Jimmy Trana features an outstanding conversation with good morning football host, Kyle Brandt. Brandt talks about strong ratings from good morning football 
and how he feels about the NFL season winding down, what a Super Bowl Las Vegas means for people in sports media, why he doesn't love talking about the Cowboys, why he avoids the social media game, his unique segment for CBS's NFL Today, his experience on Wheel of Fortune, and much more following Brant Salakata from WFAN Fan and SNY in New York joins me for the weekly Trina thoughts. Okay. And that is that we're going on for over an hour here. I mean, it's pretty crazy how quickly the show goes. All right. Super Bowl record by Jersey color. This is interesting. How often has the team wearing white one ready for this? Go ahead and think about this next time you're deciding what you want to wear on your championship Sunday, your travel ball tournament. Colors have been a topic of conversation during the 2023 NFL season. Conspiracy theorists spent the last few weeks obsessing over the Super Bowl logo color scheme conspiracy. It first made headlines in November when a fan noticed that the past two Super Bowl logos were designed with colors similar to the teams that competed in the championship game. That was, of course, purely a coincidence. When it comes to the Super Bowl, color has always been a big deal. The sterling silver shine on the Lombardi trophy, the neon splash of the victorious Gatorade bath, the glory of franchise-colored confetti. NFL uniforms use the franchise's primary color for home jerseys and white for away jerseys to ensure contrast during games. While the Super Bowl is played on a neutral site, the two conference representatives are still designated as home and away teams. The NFL alternates the home team alternates between the home team and the two conferences each season. The NFC is the home team in even numbered seasons, while the AFC is the home team in the odd numbered seasons. Last year, the Philadelphia Eagles were the home team. As a result, the Kansas City Chiefs will be the home team in Super Bowl 58 with the designated away team gets to call the opening coin toss. The home team gets to decide which color jerseys they want to wear for the game. Although the designated home team will usually elect to wear their home jerseys in the Super Bowl. That's not always the case. Well, why? There's a ton of superstition that surrounds jersey colors of the Super Bowl, and teams buy into it. Even the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers elected to wear their white road jerseys in Super Bowl 55, despite being the first team to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Home field advantage can significantly benefit the teams during the season, but home jerseys have not fared well on neutral site Super Bowl fields. Through 57 Super Bowls, Teams wearing white jerseys have hoisted the Lombardi Trophy 37 times. Wow. That's enough to make me wear white. It is. So if you're the Chiefs, and I think the Chiefs' whites just look better. I'm wearing white. Is it a shoe-in? Does that mean you're winning the game? No. But I think I'm wearing white. Huh. I don't look too far into it. For the longest time, we would wear, I don't know, it was like our baby blues on Sunday. 
And we didn't win a tournament or two. And then it was like, oh, we can't wear baby blues on Sunday. I'm like, shut the fuck up. No. No. We actually specifically, and I think maybe it was with the camos, where we hadn't won in the camos on a Sunday. And so I specifically said we're wearing camos on Sunday and lined it up that way just to disprove the theory. And guess what? We went out there and disproved it, and we won the championship anyway. Uh, is there something to it? I think there's something to bright colors. I do. I think there's something to the LTP uniforms that we have that that pop. Now, every one of our uniforms pop. The Niners? I don't know. There's something about the Niners red. I'd rather see the Niners in red. I would. The Niners, the Chiefs in white and the Niners in red would look really good. And I don't know if they have officially decided this yet. It said the Kansas City Chiefs don't seem to care about superstitions. Despite the history, they'll be donning their classic red home uniforms. Okay. Who can blame them? After all, it worked when they faced San Francisco with their 31 or 20 victory. Yeah. Okay. Good. Niners will wear white. It's fine with me. I don't give a shit. I think Kansas City's white, like the white with the red pants. That looks legit. But Niners are going to win this shit anyway. Fan cited, by the way. You want to talk about a site? I, I like this site. They really do a good job on picking up on I don't know, it's a, it's a fan shit, all the kind of the controversial sort of stuff. Uh, one of these here, MLB rumors, Blue Jays not selling low. Syndergaard's campaign back Cal Ripken's message to O's fans. Yeah, let's get into this before we go here. The Orioles are getting sold. Well, this is January 1st. I need to go January 1st. Yeah, no, it does. Okay. Cal Ripken Jr. has a message for O's fans after joining new ownership group. Baltimore Orioles fans suddenly have every reason to be excited about their future. The AL East projects to be one of the bloodbath divisions for years to come, but Baltimore is well-positioned to come out on top. The Orioles already boasted a wealth of already performing young big league talent to add to, have the league's most stacked farm system, making them the go-to buyer anytime someone has an asset they want to trade. Baltimore appears to have a right of first refusal on key incoming talent pieces. Before this week, the one mark against the optimism for the Orioles was future ownership. This offseason has been a massive disappointment with the Angelos family sticking to a common theme of their ownership, refusing to spend to bring in talent in free agency. Well, for once, there might be, there might have been a good reason for that. Preparing the books for a sale, the Angelos have sold their controlling stake of the team to venture capitalist David Rubenstein for $1.725 billion valuation in the new ownership group is Cal Ripken. I love this. The Mr. Oriole himself, Ripken, broke his silence since the news to announce his excitement to fans in a pair of of tweets this week. I'm excited to once again be a part of the organization and I thank for including me in the ownership group. The Orioles have been a part of my life since I was a child and this is a special day. I look forward to the opportunity 
and will do whatever I can to help the organization unless you owes. Nothing like an all-timer from the franchise back to the fold to get the fans excited about what's to come for baseball in Baltimore. Hopefully, Billy's a part of it, too, not just Cal. Billy's just a good baseball guy, and I think you could do wonders with that organization. So, be cool to see those guys back. I remember when I was working for MLB Network, I would ask Billy several different times. And by the way, here is the legendary Billy Ripken, which is my favorite card of all time. If you look closely, yes, that does say fuckface. So, Billy, just uh, one of the all-time jokesters, but super knowledgeable. Don't let his sense of humor overweigh the fact that this guy's brilliant. And it literally is is one of the most uh, intelligent baseball people that I've ever been around in my entire life. He could really help that organization. I get it. You bring Cal in for the name and everything else. And not to say that Cal doesn't have great ideas. But Billy needs to be a part of this. If you put Cal in there, you put Billy in there, then you have the likes of a Jackson Holiday and the rest of that Orioles crew, uh, the way they were killing it last year. This is going to be a fun team to watch for a number of years to come in the American League East. All right. About an hour and 10, hour and 20 minutes in this thing. Let's just fucking end it. As a man thinketh. randomly open up to uh, effect on thought on health and the body the body is a servant of the mind it obeys the operations of the mind whether they be deliberately chosen or automatically expressed at the bidding of unlawful thoughts the body sinks rapidly into disease and decay at the command of glad and beautiful thoughts it becomes clothed with youthfulness and beauty Bottom line on this Daily Hustle Challenge, day one, think good thoughts. By the way, I mean, open the chat this morning. Sorry, it's so self-indulged. Jesse Burns, my brother from another mother. Good morning to you, dude, out there in, uh, I believe, what, Wisconsin, Jess? Buenos dias. John Davis, Collierville, Tennessee. John Emanuel, Ramos, Henderson, Makati City. Michelle Drew, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, We've got Billy out there in Birmingham. Paul in Palm Beach. We're spanning the fucking globe per usual. Uh, If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, thank you for joining us. Please, if you're feeling generous, leave a review. Five stars, preferably. And uh, if you want to join us when we are live, we typically will shoot this between eight and 10 a.m. Pacific time on nofilter.net. Everyone have a uh, fantastic day. See ya tomorrow.